Series 1, Episode 6, The Hunger for Healing. Hi, I'm Chris, I'm an addict, and as usual, it's great to have you with me. Well, we're on the last episode of this particular series, and this one is called The Hunger for Healing, which is really going to talk about the stage one gets to when you've hit rock bottom, then what? I just want to make it really clear that I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a mental disease professional. I'm an addict in remission of the disease of addiction. And what I'm going to talk about is coming from my own experience as an addict who has been there. I made the decision to move. I made the decision I could no longer continue the life that I was living and that I got into. I needed to change from my past choices. I had nothing to lose as I could only see my way out was death. But I wanted life like everybody else around me had. Families and friends and strangers just seemed to be getting on with life and I couldn't, but I wanted what they had. Hitting rock bottom doesn't mean that you have to stay there. We have choices to move if we want. Today, my rock bottom became a solid foundation for me to rebuild my life. And my life is drastically different from where I was 37 years ago, sitting in an all-night cinema, just trying to stay normal by using every half hour. That's where I was. Today, I have a normal, productive, healthy lifestyle that I have got to because I made a decision to stop. As I said before, when we hit rock bottom, it can and is the most devastating time of our lives. At that very moment, we might be in such a dark place that it is easy to think that there's no way out, and I, I really understand that. However, the rock bottom, as it was for me, served as a blessing, as it has done for many people. It is the moment, it is the moment that those who are struggling with the addiction like I was, then get to a point of either we're gonna sink or we're gonna swim. And I chose to swim. So what was the first thing I did when I really began to hit my rock bottom? As I said in the previous episode, I only really hit rock bottom when I was in the treatment center, but I knew I was getting there. So hence why I got myself well, I didn't, but my sister got me to meet somebody who was a recovering addict, who showed me that there is a way. And that sort of switched on a light that maybe, when I need help, this is the route I will go. I didn't realize at the time I was at a place where I needed help, but I hadn't got to the place of rock bottom. So the first thing that I know that I did in the end, uh, when I hit rock bottom, was to reach out for help. This doesn't mean always the same for everybody else. It's sometimes a very personal level of hitting rock bottom, which I've explained before. And it's not necessarily that you have to go and rush out and find yourself a treatment facility like I did and make calls to get admitted onto a program. In many incidences, uh, many who've hit rock bottom do not have the capacity to reach out at all. They're in a place that is so dark that they don't believe anybody cares or is interested in them. And they rather just be who they are and, and, and end up usually in the streets or, uh, or die. That's the reality of what we're talking about. So reaching out for help at rock bottom can include asking for friends, family members or loved ones to help you find treatment, a treatment, or somebody who is in the fellowship program. You could contact a primary care provider, therapist, or other professional who could also bridge the gap between active addiction and recovery. No matter how this is done, asking for help is the very first and most important step to take after hitting rock bottom. It is also the most courageous, brave step to put your hand up and say, I need help. I've always admired people who for the first time have realized where they're at and just have the courage to pick themselves up and walk into a fellowship meeting or walk up to somebody who they know is a recovering addict and say, help, 
or even walk to their families and say, I'm done, I'm finished, I know that I've done so many things wrong, but today I've had enough and I need your help. That takes courage. So if you got to this place, rock bottom, which is very different for every addict, you will be in a place that you just want this to end now. And either you just say, I'm going to die right here and now, or you will go to a place where you are hungry for healing. Either way, please listen carefully from here, because I and others want to help you feed your hunger for healing. And to help you feed that hunger for healing, we'll need you to be able to make a commitment to yourself that this is it, this is the end for me. I now need to fully surrender and just pick myself up with the help of all these people around me. And that is what you're gonna get on this journey. Season two is going to help you get the tools to help you stay clean and to pick you up from rock bottom onwards. Be sure that you get on to season two after this. But I'm gonna show you some other things before we get onto that of how you can start now to start picking yourself up. Even though it's through this podcast, I'm gonna show you other ways that you can get to get help. So how did I know that I was at my rock bottom? Well, you heard again from my story in episode five about my rock bottom, but I'm gonna tell you a bit about the feelings that I had that got me to a place where I had had enough. Where, where was I? Well, I was for a start emotionally finished. My feelings were controlled by my needs. I had nothing that I could do for what I felt I should be doing. I couldn't. However much I wanted to stop, I could not stop. I had tried numerous times. And even if I was able to stop for a month or two at the most, if I was lucky, I could stop for three days. But if I could stop for a period of time, I always started again. I was physically sick. I weighed 45 kilos, which is seven stone or 99 and a half pounds. I was physically a wreck. I was told I had six months to live when I got into the rehab. I was mentally sick. I was not who I thought I was. I was owned by something more powerful than me that I could not control, and it was making me have to survive by doing things I would never have thought I was capable of doing. I just had to keep feeding the need. I had to keep feeding this addiction, this habit, this tiger. I was doing things that were totally and utterly out of my mind. I was insane. I was an outcast. I was disconnected from my family, my friends and society as a whole. I was just out. I had left everything that loved me so much. And finally, I was spiritually sick. I was lost from any form of faith belief or trust and I certainly didn't have any love at all receiving or giving at that point in time I could not see a way out but what really made me make the decision once I did hit my rock bottom I realized that I could no longer keep up with the demand of my addiction I had to take more and more of the same drug all the time just to have some degree of normality at least where I thought was normal which was having enough drugs and alcohol to maintain my living I lived to use and used to live I also uh, missed being with my family and my friends and I, and I just I just felt that I was a complete outcast and that I'd let so many people down and I'd hurt so many people. I just was riddled with guilt that I wasn't sure if I could possibly face people again. And I was still very angry as well because I felt they had put me in this position and they needed to help me, but I was wrong. And I began to see that. 
My body was dying, clearly it was dying. My weight was so low. And I was just living at an hour a day, just purely each hour surviving that hour. If I could score a drug or score something or, uh, it just got so bad that nothing mattered except trying to live some sort of normal life by scoring and getting my drug or alcohol or whatever I needed to sustain this demand of my addiction. I had had enough of what I had become and I didn't know myself anymore. I was a living spirit inside a body that was not me, but I was aware of everything around me, but my mind and my body were somewhere else. I needed to do something. I couldn't continue to live like this. This was just more horrific than I could ever, ever have imagined, and I will never forget it. But I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision to change, at least change something. I could no longer live a lie, the manipulation, the hurt, or destroy anything and everything around me. I couldn't do it anymore. My spirit in me was not in a place that it could survive. As I did all the things that were just not right of mind, and I had to stop it. I was completely detached from everyone and anything except what I was going to feed, which was my tiger, my addiction. I knew I had to do something. I had now been given a chance and I took it. As I saw no other way out except to allow this incurable progressive disease to take its course, which would have ended up me being incarcerated or in a mental institution and most likely death by organ failure or overdose. And the other element, which was very, very much in my mind, was suicide. I had got to a place where I wanted to be like everybody else. They lived each day without having to plan how to feed their disease. They were free from anything controlling their lives. I wanted that. I looked at people and I could just see people busy around their lives and their work and their home and their families and they didn't have to worry about where they needed to go out and get money and score and use. My life was completely and utterly ruled by that way of life. I could not live freely like everybody else and I wanted what they had. I was hungry for healing. I really recognize that. I, I, I no longer wanted to be uh, feeding my tiger anymore. The hunger of my tiger had just completely overwhelmed me. I wanted to stop feeding that addiction. It was just day in and day out, and I wanted out. I'd had enough. I so wanted healing. So I took the opportunity that I was given, and I made it my priority. It was my absolute focus. I had to surrender my past and focus on my future. And so I had to go into a withdrawal uh, program, cold turkey, whatever you like to call it. But I must say, withdrawals was scary and it was painful. I'm not going to tell you that it wasn't. But I was in a rehab where people could watch me and look after me, which is what they did. And it was what I needed. However, let me just tell you, that physical side of the withdrawal doesn't take long. It took me 14 days to get over my craving of addiction. It, it, I, I, that physical element, that pain, that physical pain of your body. However, my need to continue with the substance was still there. I mean, that's crazy, but it was really, there was, it was there. I had cravings that mentally overwhelmed me. It played my mind the whole time, justifying when and how. It was like having something in your head that was just demanding control of your soul being. I could only imagine what it's like to be possessed. It controlled me. It was like an outer force that ripped me apart with every possible temptation it could put in front of me, every desire, every fulfillment, and every justification, relief from this mental and physical pain. But I had made up my mind. I had made up my mind. This was it. 
this is what I was prepared to go through. I was in a place that I could do it. And I had people around me who understood what I was going through. Of all the times I had tried to come off the drugs physically myself, I had failed. I had failed, as I said, so many times. But this time, I had people around me who wanted to help me. Most who had been there themselves and gone through a, 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 a withdrawal like I was going through. But now, they were free of that. And they were on a journey of recovery. And they looked well. Which is really what I wanted. As uh, Not only that, I had doctors and nursing staff who were watching me and monitoring me to see if I was okay. And that was amazing. And I made this decision. I was not going to let them down. I was not going to let my family down anymore. I was not going to let myself down anymore. I was very fortunate to have had this chance to be in a rehab to start my journey of recovery. However, many people, as I know and I've met, have done this at home. They don't necessarily have to be in a rehab. You just need to get hold of a family friend or a friend or a member of the family who will help you detox. I was really wanting and prepared to do what I had to do to get well while I was in this rehab. And then I could just get out and then I could carry on with life again. What I didn't see was what was to come. And it was beyond anything I had ever expected or thought was possible. So let's just take a step back. That's how I was while I was going through detox and withdrawals. And of course, as I mentioned in my last podcast, I, on about 10 or 11th day, I, I went into the rehab chapel and I had a a miracle experience, something I, at the time, I could not understand or grasp. I just thought this is what happened. But it was when I asked what I understood was a higher power for help. And to, for me then, as an atheist, to get down on my knees was a big enough a deal. And I was completely shattered when I left the chapel thinking nothing had happened. But it had, and there had and has been from there onwards, answer to prayer. And the first answer, as I said, was the ability to sleep. And the other thing is realizing that I didn't have any more cravings. The cravings had gone. But I still was fully aware that I was an addict. I was still dealing with the disease of addiction. I had now begun my journey of recovery. I had started and was so prepared to buckle down and just listen to what other people were saying, other recovering addicts in the rehab and what they were saying, and begin to learn about the tools that would keep me from using again and to help me live a life in remission of my disease of addiction. For as long as I chose to do so, that's the amazing thing, just one day at a time. The tools that I have learned about are so simple, straightforward and honest. They are in fact 12 tools. 12 tools that I can have sitting in my toolbox at any time and are available to me any time whenever I wish to. Like having them in this toolbox that I could take out whenever I needed to at any period of time. There is no order of the tools uh, to fix a problem. I use the tool that I need for the problem that I had. And I would then put it back in the toolbox once I had got back on the program. And there are so many things that will come up in my recovery and still do that I will continue to pull out the tools. They are challenging my recovery. But I have the tools that I have learned to enable me to sustain my recovery. These are the tools that are called the 12-step program of recovery. There is no order of which you must use what tool, what, when, and how. But it's always better when you're learning those 12 steps is to do them in order from 1 to 12. But it doesn't mean that when you get to 12 that you're finished and you've done your 12-step program. No, you put all the tools in the toolbox and then you use each tool not just in order, but specific tool to fix the specific problem. And you might be using one or two or three tools at one time. 
but they're there for you to maintain your recovery. These are the life tools that I have learned and that have helped me maintain my recovery for 37 years and kept my addiction in remission. However, I am still not able to continue on my recovery just by these steps. I have had to believe in a power greater than myself, who is today Jesus Christ for me. And he has given me the ability to hand my will and my life over to him, Jesus Christ, my higher power. So now I have the toolbox with all the 12 steps in it. And they're really important steps for me. This, uh, it gives you the ability to surrender to a power greater than yourself who loves you unconditionally and will point you in the direct direction. All I have to do is make the choices. Make the choices that are for my remission of my addiction. But I can't do all this alone. I need recovering addicts around me all the time. I need to get to meetings where I can go and listen to other people's stories, whether they're one day clean or if they're not clean or if they've got, you know, years of sobriety. I need to go to those meetings and hear these stories, not only to remind me of where I was at, but also to listen to the hope of an amazing future ahead that I can have and continue to have. And I am prepared in so many aspects to just surrender my problems to those meetings and tell people how I'm doing that day and know that nobody's going to look down on me and say, oh, you are stupid or you are an idiot or, oh, you're just a one of those. They don't at all. They sit there and they go, I get you. I understand. I was there too. It's amazing to have this fellowship of people who really do understand you. And so that's what I have now too. And that has been amazing to be able to ring them up at any time of day or night to tell them I've got a problem or to ring up and see how they're doing. The biggest thing for me in my recovery has been reaching out to others and helping others because I only have what I have by giving it away. And that is a, a slogan that one hears in the meetings, but it's very true. You only keep what you have by giving it away. And I can tell you now, the rewards of giving away your recovery and, well, at least teaching people how recovery is through the 12-step program and your higher power is beyond anything you could possibly imagine. It is just so rewarding in so many ways. As I was saying, I attend uh, addiction recovery fellowships like Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, and All Addictions Anonymous, which uh, personally I prefer the All Addictions Anonymous, as I see so many similarities in my own addictions, not just drugs and alcohol, I recognize my other addictions of my disease, like sex, pornography, and eating, and obsessive compulsive behavior. In the meeting, I have learned not to just look at the differences. I, I really do look at the similarities in all addictions because the behavior is the same regardless of the journey each person took to get to this place of complete devastation in their lives through the addiction. But today, I'm with them and I identify with them and I, and, and I do over and over again realize I am not alone in this, in this battle of, of fighting against addiction. But it's not a battle every day. It is so rewarding in so many aspects. We just have to be constantly aware that we have the disease of addiction, that at this point in time, there is no known cure, but there is a way of putting into remission. And that's what I hope I'm going to be teaching you in this podcast and in the next uh, series, which is going to show you the 12 steps of recovery. Today, um, and I mean this, absolutely 100%. I do have a completely different life to when I was using. I have, my life has just literally turned completely around. I have a life that I never believed I could achieve, to be perfectly honest. I, I In my days of my youth, I, I was saw myself as a complete failure. And then obviously being a drug addict and an alcoholic, that didn't help the, the <laughs> didn't help that synopsis at all. But I really got to a point where I was just a mess and I had no faith, no self-confidence, and no trust in anything or anybody or in myself. It was terrible. But today, I am living a life that I really wanted to have, and I have it now. And if I can have it, you can have it. And I'm not just 
blowing smoke here. I have seen it happen over and over again with so many people dealing with so many different addictions. If you make a decision that you're gonna turn your life around and you then get a choice and a chance to do it, all you have to do is say, I surrender. I admit that I am powerless over this addiction and that my life has become unmanageable. And that is step one. And that's what we're gonna start talking about in the next series. I just encourage you as we get to this point where we've gone through rock bottom and then the things to decide as you begin to come out of rock bottom of what is it that I have to do to get to this next phase of being free from this, this life-destroying disease. I hope what I've shown you or explained to you today is the beginning of seeing what is possible and giving you hope. You're going to meet many people on this journey who have gone through exactly what you have. You are not exceptional and indifferent. You, you, you are not the only person who has had to go through this. There are millions of us. The point is, it's okay to say, I am an addict and I have a problem. Because we, as addicts, need to get together, help each other, come out of this terrible place that we've all been in or are in, and help each other out. We are putting the hand that was given to us out to you to come out of this place that is destroying your life. I'm going to wrap up again as I normally do on this final episode of this particular series, which was Understanding Addiction. I want to encourage you to join me in the next uh, series, which is going to be walking through the 12-step program. I'm gonna be explaining each step individually per week so that you could get a really good idea of what the steps are about. I'm also going to give you a little bit of history on where the steps came from and how they have been used today for millions and millions of people all over the world who are recovering from their addictions. I will tell you now what is absolutely amazing for me. I could travel anywhere in the world and I know not all of us can do that but I have traveled a lot of places in the world where I can walk in to a meeting or should I say first of all go on the newspaper or the internet and find out where the local meeting is where I am now say in London and I can then find out that it starts at seven o'clock in the evening and I can then go to that place and walk in and the minute I walk in I am surrounded by friends who I've never met before but you know what there's a huge camaraderie in us all being together and achieving this thing of recovery because it takes and it really does it takes so much love and honesty that uh, I had never seen before that has helped me maintain my recovery and I want you to have that too. I want to share this in the best way I can. But I'm not going to go on talking about this. As I said in my last uh, podcast last week, um, I've got David who's going to give us his story of his recovery and how he's been dealing with his day-to-day -day freedom from addiction. So David, thanks very much for speaking and I really love it that you've chosen to speak here now. So over to you. Good evening, everybody. My name's Dave. I'm an addict in recovery. Um, first of all, just like to say thank you for allowing me to speak, and um, hopefully you'll get something out of what I have to say. Um, I don't expect that everything I say to you will gel exactly with how you think or feel right now or in the past, but, yeah, we say listen for the similarities rather than the differences. So, as I said, I'm, I'm David, I'm an addict in recovery, and um, it's a long time since I used. Um, that said, um, today I live my life in recovery just for today. I realize that I'm one activity away from active addiction, and yes, I... My primary addiction was drugs, um, but I like to think of it as a disease and that I can become addicted to anything, any behavior. And, and you know, today I, I seek balance in my life. That's my, that's my priority, is, is trying to find balance. But uh, enough of what's going on today. Um, 
I'd like to talk a little bit about my past. I started using drugs at a very young age. But even before I started using drugs, I was quite an obsessive type of person. Um, you know, I, I, if I did something, I did it to the nth degree. Um, at, I always pushed the limits. So, you know, I would... I would ride my bicycle further than anybody else. If it was a hike, I would make it further than anybody else. I, I really was quite a competitive type of person. But at the same time, I didn't feel very I didn't feel very nice inside. Let me rather put it that way. There seemed to be something missing. I didn't feel comfortable with myself and I you know I did all these things to try and either fit in um, or else I did it to to kind of get noticed and I mean I was uh, quite a naughty kid at school um, I think that, that's how it'd be described I wasn't bad but I was quite naughty and um, I was always in trouble um, with the authorities I didn't didn't uh, cope with uh, authority figures well at all um, and there, there always seemed to be a something missing I did not feel comfortable and um, I wasn't very honest I told a lies because I made out that I was more than I was or that my family was more than it was and um, I just, yeah, I, did, I didn't think people would like me for who I was. Um, I, that's the only thing looking back that I can, I can think of. It's very manipulative. Um, I would, uh, you, know, you know, do things with intention of, of benefit. I didn't do things for the sake of doing things. Though it always had to be a reason. I was, um, I was also quite controlling so in my relationships with other people, like I liked things to go my way, and um, it 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 was a it was a very I, I would say troubled childhood. Although I mean I came from a very good middle upper class upbringing, it was uh, there was nothing to to indicate or you know I wasn't deprived or anything like that. But um, I would say it's a, it was a troubled childhood. Um, I was very angry at at everybody and and probably as to myself as well. Um, when I first found drugs, I really thought I'd I'd I'd, I'd found home and and the the substance that I first found was was alcohol, but which I consider to be a drug today. Um, and and you know the warm feeling of consuming alcohol. Um, made me made me feel numb I, I all those anxieties all those fears all that I, I really felt comfortable in myself but this didn't last very long you know um it, it, and it and it progressed as well my use of alcohol progressed and by the time I left primary school I was you know I was regular binge drinking on weekends um and again you know it was also fitting in i had uh, some older friends and and uh, that that was also part of it it, it was uh, it was something to to fit in with all the guys i thought i was cool and and my peers of my age uh, kind of like looked up to me, wow this guy's you know and uh, that felt good and uh, that felt good so it wasn't just the effect of the substance but it was the the effect that I felt in my social circles and in um, in, in society in general, um, I very quickly progressed to to using illegal substances and you know abusing some over the counter medications. Um, it, it 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 the progression was very very quick, um, and and I guess by the age of sixteen. Um, I was already getting into trouble with the law. I'd got into a lot of trouble at school um, because of substance abuse, and um, and also because of my behaviour. You know, I was I was um, I was not obedient. I was very rebellious, 
and um, you know I would skip school and yeah I just I, I didn't fit in as much as I felt comfortable on a substance it quickly passed and I needed more um, so that that started happening again you know whereas Previously, I'd needed more accolades. I'd needed more. Um, I needed to push myself to the limit when, when it came to sports and, and all the rest. I now started finding myself as pushing myself to the limits in taking substances. And, um, and, and, and my health started to suffer as well. Uh, I was unable to perform um, sports-wise. I was unable to perform academically. And um, things just started spiraling out of control and uh, as a consequence I um, of, of one of my brushes with the law I decided to seek um, some some psychological treatment um, and that also became psychiatric treatment um, little did I know them I mean, they just gave me some some pills to deal with my anxiety and uh, and um, some, some therapy, which you know, I found myself blaming everybody else for 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 why I took substances, and um, poor me, I was really very very sorry for myself, um, and and unable to to accept that you know I had got myself into this um, situation, and as a consequence, I didn't really benefit much from the. From the treatment that I received, um, the the drug counselling treatment and, and psychiatric treatment that I received, and uh, my addiction continued to progress, um, and it took me to very very dark places, you know. Um, whereas I might not have been honest um, in in my past, I became extremely dishonest and got involved with some, you know, very unsavoury activities and. Um, my addiction took me to some very dark places, um, it, you know, it, to the point where, you know, suicide became a regular thought. I just, I just didn't have the, the guts to do it, you know. I was slowly committing suicide, but I just didn't have the guts to, 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 to take a final, to take my life. Um, I became isolated, um, whereas previously I'd used as a, as a, as a socially, you know, I, didn't want to share my drugs with other people and nobody really wanted to hang around with me particularly much because I was just, you know, so miserable. I was very guilty about um, the, what, where the disease had taken me and um, filled with shame about um, how, how I was not able. I think on some level I started to realize that I had lost any control that I thought I had. Um, but I wasn't uh, willing to admit that um, I was, you know, I was out of control. Anybody who asked me, I said, I don't, you know, I, absolutely, of course I can stop whenever I want. The problem was I just couldn't stay stopped, you know. Um, despite all the promises that I uh, made to myself um, and to others, um, you know, I, I continue to use and very secretively and, you know, um, they told me when I'd sought this treatment that I had a problem and they mentioned the word addiction and I very quickly said, no, not me, you know, I'm, I'm not that um, junkie in the park with a needle in his arm and, and, you know, as long as I didn't stick a needle in my arm, I thought that I wasn't, a, wasn't an addict and, um, you know, I continued to, to, to live a life of despair and dishonesty, complete and utter unmanageability. You only had to look at my cupboards or my desk to know that I really was, you know, a, a mess. You know, my my um, anger towards myself and and to others grew, um, and and really, I, I I went into a very very dark place, and I think for a long long time, I despised myself. Um, I despised myself on the one hand, but yet outwardly I was a very arrogant um, individual and, and, and blamed everybody else and, and, and took absolutely no responsibility for his own actions. And, you know, consequently my life spiraled further and further downwards. Um, 
had numerous attempts at, at, at trying to get um, off the drugs and trying to um, trying to fix myself and um, and I just couldn't I really just couldn't I'd got married I'd had um, I'd had a child um, who I'd really adored but you know nothing was enough to stop me from using um, I could go without substances for well, I couldn't go without substances. I could go without some substances for a period of time, but then I would end up um, back on that substance or another substance. I, I just tried everything. I tried leaving the country. I tried moving towns. I, I tried moving jobs. I tried changing friends, girlfriends. Nothing worked. It was just, you know, wherever I went, there I was. Um, and, 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 and there was always chaos. There was always chaos. It was always the police, always the authorities, always in disciplinary hearings at, at work. I mean, I would take my bosses hostage. I, I, would, I would end up giving my bosses drugs so that they couldn't fire me for for using drugs because I was the I was I was the supplier. It, it really, you know, these were all very carefully thought out um, ploys so that I, I I wasn't able to get fired. But even then, eventually they would say, you know, we can't have you here around here anymore. You've got really good drugs. You can bring them around on a Friday. And I mean, it was just it was just absolute chaos. I, I mean, until I reached the point of absolute despair when. I'd been on the streets before, um, but I'd never been alone, completely alone. My Either my parents bailed me out or a girlfriend or a colleague or somebody. I always managed to, to, to get rescued. Um, but finally, I was, I was beyond rescue. Nobody wanted to help me. Nobody, nobody, nobody believed that I could get better and... Everyone had given up hope on me, including myself. Um, and I, I, I remember locking myself into a room and throwing the key out the window because I didn't trust myself um, not to go back and, and score again. Um, and, and somebody came to the door and said, listen, there's a, there's a place at a, at a rehab for you. And um, if you want to go, we need to go now. And I said, well, you've got the key, so unlock me, and off we went. And um, it wasn't the first time I'd be in re rehab, um, but it was the last time. I, I, I guess something snapped, and I got a, I managed to finally surrender and say, I can't do this myself. I need help. When I managed to ask for help, really ask for help, not, uh, I need help, I need to get to a rehab so that I can freshen up so I can use again. No, I need help to stay stopped and not to start again. And um, it was at that point that, you know, somebody who had been in my life all along since almost the very first time that I'd sought help um, for the wrong reasons, um, you know, I was able to reach out to them and um, and ask them for guidance. It was somebody who um, is in recovery themselves, so they understood me. They didn't take. I, they they knew my lies because my story was their story. Their story was my story. That's the that's the beauty for me is of of one addict helping another is the fact that you know. I can see through all your bullshit um, and another addict can see through my bullshit. And so my life started, my true life started when I was able to tell the truth about how I felt about myself, how I felt about others, that I was able to look at myself and see my part. And yes, you know, sure, I may have um, been dealt a few bad hands, but, you know, a lot of people get dealt bad hands and they, they don't destroy their lives and destroy the lives of their family members and their friends and, 
um, so I needed to take responsibility for my recovery. And um, with the help of others, you know, I, I believe that only once I was able to admit that I was an addict and that I couldn't do this alone, then other people could help me. Then a higher power could find, could seek and find a higher power to that was that was more powerful than the disease of addiction because I came to realize that the de- disease of addiction is all powerful. It it overwhelmed the best intentions of my family. It, it overwhelmed my best intentions. My, you know, I, I was I was quite a, I had some quite strong powers of of control, but it it overwhelmed that. Um, I went through close to 15 years of trying to control my using from the first time when I said, oh, there there might be a problem to the time when I finally admitted that I was the problem, not the drugs were the problem, I was the problem. And, um, and, and, And it was at that point that I started healing. And I was given a program to practice uh, the, a 12-step program, which allowed me to look at myself, first of all, warts and all. Um, it allowed me to look for a higher power and and find a higher power and surrender to that higher power. Um, it allowed me to go through my shortcomings and my assets, and, um, and it allowed me to share them with another human being as well as my higher power. It allowed me to then give my higher power permission to remove these shortcomings. You know, sometimes I, I take my will back. I'm a, I'm a very willful person, and it, it happens at the drop of a hat that I start becoming manipulative, controlling, um, a little bit angry, a bit resentful, um, perhaps a, even a bit fearful. In fact, that is the core of my disease, fear. I didn't want anybody to know who I really was because I didn't like myself. I, the self-loathing that I had for myself was big, as big it was the disease. Um, and, and, you know, it, it came to the point where I was able to surrender that and to, to start accepting that this higher power loved me and that if a higher power loved me, then I could love myself. Well, at least like myself. Today I love myself, but it started with, with liking certain things about myself and then getting to a point where I, I accepted myself for my shortcomings as well as my assets. Um, and that's been an incredible change because I, I really, like I said, I, I hated the sight of myself in, in active. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror um, I didn't trust myself, and I certainly had no faith. You know, today it's so, so different. Um, I've been able to make amends to most of the people that I hurt. You know, whether it be directly, you know, repaying debts and, and or, or indirectly. I mean, you know, just for me to be in recovery on a daily basis, I'm making amends to myself and those around me. Um, I've gained courage that I never knew possible to face things that there there was not in my wildest dreams did I ever believe that I could get through um, the things that I've managed to get through in recovery all clean Um, and and I've become quite a kind and generous person Um, I've, I've managed to experience and to give out unconditional love um, to, to gain trust and to give trust and um, to get honest and be honest. Um, it's, it's, it's a remarkable gift and I feel very grateful today to be able to share that with you, that there, there is hope. It's, it's not all about the hopelessness of, of active addiction um, if we are willing to do the work, there is a hope for a, a life beyond our wildest dreams. There is um, a chance to, to make amends, to, to live a full and honest and, and productive life, to be 
part of society as opposed to um, destroying society. And, and so if I were to leave you with something, it would be that out of the hopelessness of despair and from the pain of despair and unmanageability, if I'm able to surrender, and I need to surrender on a daily basis today, um, if I'm able to surrender and to completely embrace a program of recovery and to follow the suggestions of others, I'm able to heal and, and, and live a life beyond my wildest dreams. And, and I guess you can too. So thank you very much for the opportunity and um, lots of love. Thank you, David. Brilliant. And uh, thank you again so much for taking the time to record your story and tell it to us all today. It's amazing. And there, there in itself is a friendship that I've had for most of my recovery. And I've known David for a very, very long time. And it's been a privilege to have him as a friend and as a fellow recovering addict. And uh, I just want to reiterate that this friendship and bonding that one has in all these meetings and fellowships are essential for the maintenance for the maintenance of our recovery but above all it's for true love and friendship that is beyond anything that I've experienced before so before I wrap up now and, and close I just want to remind you of the SMS number that I would love written messages or um, audio messages which is I love too or if you want to tell me your story and put it on to a WhatsApp message. The number is 076-464-2098. And I really look forward to hearing from your comments. So until next week, when we start our second uh, series, which is going to be all about recovery, I'm going to say, just look after yourselves, guys. Think about what I've said today. And I really look forward to having you in the next series. So until then, keep well, keep safe, and remember, Keep it clean.